Thank you again, Praise Team, for reminding us how much we need God. Amen? Amen. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, 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 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be wrapping up chapter 1 today. We've been talking about being deceived and this idea of deception. And if you remember two weeks ago, by the way, last week, uh, my brother was here. And thank you guys for giving him such a warm welcome. And, and uh, uh, he just, he was very thrilled to, to get a chance to preach here. And and uh, just felt very loved, and so I appreciate that. And, and then two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of being established in truth. Remember that? Uh, it's, you might remember that we had Caleb up here, uh, Caleb Hudson up here, and, and when he had a, a weak base, like a weak wrestling base, and his hands were together, and his, his, his uh, center of gravity was very high, it was very easy to just topple him over. But when he, when he spread his hands out and he had a solid base, it was very hard for him to, to be toppled over. And that's what, we're, what we find in scriptures, that we're to be established in what? In the truth. Established in truth. We have this strong base so that when the waves of false doctrine come, we're not so easily toppled over and we don't fall and cave in. This week, the, the text that, that uh, Peter gives, leaves for us is going to build off of that concept of being established in the truth. But this week we're going to see what is the source of truth. Where can we go to get the truth by which we can be established and strong? And, uh, and my clicker is falling apart here. Hold on a second. You ever have that happen? Well, probably if not, unless you've done some public speaking. But it happens sometimes. And, uh, and so this week we're going to look at the source of truth. So if you're in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 16. And we're going to read this. We read, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. <clears throat> When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He begins here by explaining what, what the wrong basis for truth is, and he says, For what did we, this is, there's something that is not worth following. What did we not follow? We did not follow cunningly devised fables. He's saying that there's a wrong basis for truth and there's a right basis for truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And first we begin, what is the wrong basis for truth? And, and the short answer is very simple. It, it's man-made fables. Man-made fables. In fact, the word truth, which we found in the previous verses, by which we are to be established and grounded, truth is an antonym of the word fable, Right? A fable is something that is made up. It is not true. It is not rooted in history at all. It is a, it's, it's completely man-made. It's, it's a fable. And he's saying here that you are to be established in the truth. And then he uses themselves as apostles as examples and says, For we did not come to you. We did not follow anything man-made. No fables. We were following something much greater than that. You might remember from the very first week when we, or we dove into, uh, into Second Peter, you might remember this, where we talked about there's two different natures with two different destinies, and, and we find that, that one of them begins with a source in human power. And, and, he's, and this is what he's saying here. If, if your source is human power, if it's something that's man-made, if it's a fable that comes from a human being, then you're going down the wrong direction. It's going to lead to, the, to a, a participation in the acts of depravity, and the lust of the flesh, and corruption, and so on. But if you want to partake of the divine nature, you're going to have to find a new source. You remember that? And so we, we see uh, that concept of this human source, and he's saying, no, you have to have that divine source if you're going to partake of the divine nature. So Peter now is taking this concept that we found in, in the early verses of chapter 1, and he's, he's, he's expanding on that. He's expounding 
on this idea. You see, there's this false notion out there that we find is, is very popular, um, even amongst people who claim to be Christians. And there's this false notion out there that God allows man, that God allows man to create his own religion, and then he, God, submits to it because he wants to have a relationship with us. Have you seen that anywhere around lately? I, this, is, this is where the, the American church is headed. The, this idea that, well, Christianity is one of many religions. And, and, and if, if a man wants to worship God via Buddhism, or if a man wants to worship God via Hinduism, or, or any other religion, that God will submit himself to those, and, that, and that, that all of those are legitimate ways to find God. Have you seen that at all in the, in the news? Have you seen In fact, there's an assumption many times uh, that this is what we must believe um, in order to, to coexist. And that's not the truth. That's not what we find here. In fact, um, there's a popular uh, uh, author who claims to be a Christian author. His name is, is William Paul Young. And he has a book called Lies We Believe About God. And, uh, and so the idea is this. Is he's saying these are things that we have always or tended to believe about God. And he's saying these are lies and we ought to stop believing these things. And... Uh, and in, those, in there, there are some where, some where he would be accurate, but some that he is dangerously off base. What we read on page 39 in that book is this. He, he wrote this. He says, what if there is no plan for your life, but rather a relationship in which God constantly invites us to co-create, respectfully submitting to the choices we bring to the table? Is there, is there something, is there a little theological antenna in your, in your mind that says, wait a minute, that, wait, that doesn't sound right. Is there anyone else there with me? Okay, about half of us, right? So, uh, uh, no, there should be something that's, wait a minute, that, that's not what we read in Scripture. In fact, we read in Scripture about the sovereign God who is the author of creation. He's the author of history, and, and he sets up kings and, and tears them down. He, he is the one who is sovereign. He makes the choices, and things happen according to his plan. Uh, but not, not according to this. In fact, this is how equals relate to each other, isn't it? I mean, if, if this is how we, we relate to people who we consider an equal to us, is, is we, we submit to the choices that they make and we, we build off of that. This is how people on the same plane relate to each other. You know, and, and so I, I love you and you, well, some of you love me back, right? And we have a relationship and we, and we, we interact with each other. And if, if, if you make a decision, then I, I will change accordingly. If I make a decision, you'll change accordingly. That's how equals relate. But now we're talking about God, and he's treating God as if he's an equal. And I remember when I first read that, I thought to myself, well, maybe all he means by this is that God doesn't force us to make the right choices, and maybe we can make some wrong choices, and God would adjust his plan accordingly to still bring us back to him. Maybe that's what he meant, but you continue to read, and that's not what he meant at all. In fact, we find uh, this on page 109. It says, <clears throat> but God did not start religion. Rather, religion is among a whole host of things that God did not originate, but submits to because we human beings have brought them to the table. You get the idea? This whole Jesus dying on the cross, was that really Jesus paying for our sins? No, but we've turned it into that. Do you see what I'm saying? We, we've turned it into that. And it's good, because God will submit to that. And, and okay, yeah, sure. 
Jesus is my son, you can, yeah, I'll accept you into heaven. But if you choose a different religion and, and you have a different religion and you follow those practices, okay, God submits to that religion and he will become Buddha or he will become whatever, Brahma, he will become the cosmos, whatever it needs to relate to you. How many of you believe that? Okay, hopefully there are no hands up for that one. Uh, no, why? This is, the, this is a, a foreign idea from the scriptures. It's, uh, it's not what we, what we see. And, and what we learn in Second Peter is that poor doctrine leads to poor discernment, right? And poor discernment leads to depravity. And so that's why we find this with this poor doctrine, there's some poor discernment. And he comes up with some, some strange heresies. Here's one, for example, in the same book on page 118. He was asked, are you suggesting that, that everyone is saved? That you believe in a universal salvation. That means everyone is saved. And he says, and he responds, that is exactly what I am saying. Everybody's saved. But do, you th- do you think that's a dangerous doctrine? Because if everyone thinks they're saved, then what do you need to do to become saved? Nothing. You're already there. Boy, that is a dangerous, dangerous doctrine. And there are a lot of people that are going to believe this doctrine. And when the day comes... And they stand before their creator. They're going to be waiting for the words, well done. And they're going to find out, they're going to hear the words, away from me, you evildoers. For I do not know you, that we read in Matthew 7. Why? Because of doctrines like this. Uh, uh, In fact, he went on to say, uh, he went on to say, prior to the foundation of the world, we were all included. We were all saved in eternity. And even throws a quote on there, or a misquote, I should say, on there. Um, and here's the point. You can't make something true by believing in it. And so you, you, you can say, the, the even cunningly devised fables, man-made fables, no matter how, how intelligently you put them together, you can't make something true by believing in it. Isn't that true? Can you, can you think of any, any instance in, in, the, in the natural world where that exists? I mean, as a kid, I remember thinking that if I took, if I took like a, a large blanket and put some strings on the other end of it and I jump off of my neighbor's chicken coop, I would float down like a parachute. I learned the hard way that it doesn't work like it does in cartoons, right? I was a little kid. I did that. I jumped off the chicken coop with a, with a blanket and strings. And now, I really believed in my heart that it was going to work like a parachute. But I had to submit to the laws of reality, like the laws of gravity, aerodynamics, etc. And this is the way it is in reality. We can't, be- we can't believe something into reality. We have to submit to the reality as it, as it actually is. But this is what we've been doing as human beings from the beginning. In fact, if we look at a, br- a brief history of man-made religions, we don't have to go very far. In fact, you, go all- you-, you only have to go back as far as Cain and Abel. The first descendants on the planet, right? And, um, and remember that God, when, when Adam and Eve had sinned, he, he had a, uh, an animal sacrifice. And then Cain and Abel come and they know they're sinners. Abel says, well, I'm going to follow the pattern that God left for us. So he offers an animal sacrifice. Cain did what? Cain decided, I'm going to come to God too. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need God. I want to have this sense of spirituality, but I'm going to do it on my own terms. And I don't raise animals. I am a farmer. I produce crops. I'm going to bring the Lord my crops. 
And did that please God? Did God say, oh, Cain, thanks for coming to me on your own terms? You know, no, he's, it's not good enough. It's not good enough because that is not going to be a picture of the ultimate sacrifice for your sin. And God already had a plan in, in place for Jesus Christ to be that sacrifice. Amen? And, uh, and so we see that with Cain and Abel. You, you skip ahead to the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, when when uh, Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and, uh, and what you find is that, that God had already given them the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites had agreed to it, and then Moses goes up into the mountain to receive a copy of the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting what you read in Exodus 32. It says that God was carving the Ten Commandments with his own finger. Meanwhile, what is Moses' brother doing? He is collecting gold from the people, bringing it together, and it says he was fashioning an idol with his hands. So he, he was fashioning this idol. And then, you know what they did? They lifted up this idol that was in the shape of a golden calf, which comes straight out of the religions of the surrounding areas. And, and they didn't say, behold, this is Baal, which is also can, is in the form of a golden calf. They didn't say that. They said, this is Elohim. Who's Elohim? It's God. One of the first words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. bara Elohim. It's God. It's the Hebrew word for God. And he's saying, God, this is your God. What is it? They're taking something that they created and replacing God with that. And, and so we find that, that this was a very negative thing in Scripture. You, you moved, going into the promised land, if this, if this assumption were true, then when you go into the promised land, when they enter the promised land, wouldn't their job be to commend all of the locals for their creative ways of finding God? Wouldn't that be, isn't that what you find? It's not what you find. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, 5, he says, this is, is how you're supposed to treat this. He says, but, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Why? You know, that, that doesn't seem very tolerant, does it? <laughs> but he's saying, no, those are false religions. Why? Because these are cunningly devised fables that people were following. You go a little bit further, you go into the, into the prophets, and, uh, um, and you might remember, like, Elijah. And it wasn't Elijah teaming up with the prophets of Baal. It was the one prophet of God versus all of the prophets of Baal and all the prophet, uh, prophetesses of, of um, Asherah. 1 verse 850. You remember what God did? God sent fire from heaven to show that, he, that Elijah was serving the real God. All the rest of them were what? They're false human, man-made religions. He said they're not good enough, and God does not submit to that. God does never submits to that. He is God alone, and he does not give glory to, to another. I love, and, and in fact, if you want to keep a finger here in Second Peter, but uh, take a look at Isaiah chapter 44. God explains why this is such, uh, such a problem. He explains why idolatry, why false worship is not good enough. And uh, in verses 14 through, through 20, this is what we read. It says, he, talking about a man, he cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak and he secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Goes on, verse 15, then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. 
He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. Do you see what he's getting at? And he's saying, a man should know better because a man goes, he, he looks for the wood, he collects the wood, he chops the wood, he takes some of this wood, and what does he do with it? He chops it up, kindling. He uses it to warm himself. And then he takes it and he makes himself a god and he bows down to it and worships it. Doesn't, doesn't make sense. He goes on in verse 16 and 17. He says, he burns half of it in the fire. And with this half, he eats, he eats meat. He, he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god. His carved image. He falls down before it and worships it. Prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Doesn't make sense. He should know better. Since they do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say, I've burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I've baked bread in its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? God does not submit himself to all the religions that we as human beings create. That That concept, and you hear it, Understand, that is nowhere in Scripture from cover to cover. Amen? There's nowhere in there from cover to cover that, that man can create his own, uh, his own religion. It's not there. And I like the way he closes it up in these last, this last verse here. He says, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? doesn't have the sense, doesn't have the understanding, the knowledge to realize that what he, he created and he put in his own hand, that this is a lie. It's not there. For it to be established in the truth, we cannot follow a lie. Now, I would guess here that there's no one in here that has created an idol and worshipped it, right? I, I would guess. I, I, I'm hoping that that's, that's the case. But do you think there's idol worship that goes on? There is. When we put something that we have created, anything that we have created in the place of what God has put for us, then we have our own, our own sets of idols. I mean, the bottom line when you look at this is that man-made religion ultimately puts man as the creator and God as the created. What do I mean by that? It, it, who, who takes the wood? It's the man. What does the man do? He, he fashions the wood into what he does. And then he turns around and says, I'm going to bow down to this. And that's the lie. Why? Because we bow down to something that we create. Every man-made religion is us bowing down to something that we have created. Does that make sense? And so that's what makes it wrong. Anytime we are bowing to something that we have created, then we're, we're taking God's position. We become the creator he, or gods, become the, the created thing. And so there's, we find that this is the wrong basis. What Peter says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. He's saying that is the wrong basis. We're going to get rid of that. He says, what is the right basis? So let's go back to our verse here for a moment in verse 16 and, and read it one more time um, uh, that we find. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, but, but when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And here what we find, the, the short answer 
Uh, hold it, that that uh, got a little, little messed up on the PowerPoint there, but so there's a short answer, there's an expanded answer, and there's a full answer. And we're going to walk, walk you through all of those, and this is the way Peter lays it out. But, but when we read this, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, but what? We made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, instead of following the fables, we, came, we showed you power. And we showed you power that came from, from whom? Jesus Christ. The short answer to this is in Jesus Christ. It says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. And you see that truth does not come from man-made fables. It comes from a divine power. It goes on to say, verse 18, it says, And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. They were witnesses of the divine voice. By the way, we'll talk about this in a moment. Do you ever have that with any other religion? Where God himself says, this is it. This is the one. But you do have that of Jesus Christ. You have a God in, in uh, as we say in Spanish, in voz alta, in, in, in outdoor voice. They say, uh, you have God saying, this is it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You don't find that anywhere else. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? I mean, when you look at some of the, the other popular religions and, and the leaders of those religions, if you go to Muhammad, for example, do you ever have God confirming that Muhammad is his prophet? Do you ever have that? No, you don't have that. He, in fact, Muhammad had a, a vision by himself. A vision. He was out by a rock. Ironically, the same rock where Abraham was off, uh, asked to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. He received the vision from an angel on a, a Pegasus type of, of creature. And uh, in fact, to this day, if you go to, to, to uh, Jerusalem, you see a large dome. Any pictures of, of, uh, of, of Jerusalem, you'll see a large dome. That dome is a... Is a um, an, an Islamic building that covers that rock. It's called the Dome of the Rock because that's where he had his vision. But did anyone else see, anyone else see that vision? No. Is there any corroborating evidence? No. Hear what, what Peter's saying. We were all there. We all heard the same thing. You had witnesses. God spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Very different. Very different. Uh, so it doesn't work with, with uh, Muhammad. How about Siddhartha Gautama, um, who, who started Buddhism, the original, the, the original Buddha? Was there ever a voice from heaven that this is this is it? The, here's my new prophet. He's going to give. No, you don't have that. In fact, uh, you had him in in the trance from. He was a Hindu, believe it or not. The original Buddha was a Hindu for uh, first. And, and he's in this trance where he has, he has denied himself food, denied himself water, denied himself uh, also of anything, that, that, of normal sustenance, to the point that he was ready to die, and there he sees a vision. They call it enlightenment. Very different. He had this. It's no corroborating evidence. How about Joseph Smith, who started the, the, Mormon, uh, the Mormon church? Same thing. He had a vision. He had a vision. And, and, and get this. They believe that, that as... Jesus finished up what he was doing in the Middle East. He came to the Americas and did something very similar in that he was here. Now, in the Middle East, you have a lot of texts that affirm it. You have eyewitnesses, and people are writing about Jesus, whether they like him or not. He was a very popular person. 
You come here, there are no texts, no manuscripts, nothing. And so, so he has to create that into the religion and says that an angel pulled all of the texts together and then made, gave him one copy, one copy that, that was in a language he couldn't read. So he made magic stone glasses. I'm not making this up. Magic stone glasses, and he could read those, and he translated them once into English, and then God took all of the copies and the stone glasses up to, up to heaven. Why? So there would be no corroborating evidence necessary. That's not how we see God working. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, 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 see, we, we see it. It doesn't work. Uh, take L. Ron Hubbard. If you've watched any of the, the documentaries on Scientology, nothing like that. A Sun Myung Moon uh, with the Moonies, if you remember that. For, it was a bigger movement in the 70s and 80s. But what I'm saying, you could take any religion you want. You add them to this list, you're going to have a bunch of red X's with one green check for Jesus Christ. There's a distinction between Jesus Christ and everybody else, every other religion. And, and that's what they're saying. We didn't follow any man-made thing. Because the rest of these are man-made. We only came in the power of Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. And so the short answer is Jesus Christ alone. That is the answer. What is our source of truth? It's in Jesus Christ which, by extension, then, if Christ is the only true Son of God, then Christianity, which is the belief in, uh, in Christ, only Christianity will bring you closer to the God who made you. Everything else is man-made, cunningly devised fables, lies intended to deceive you. And if you, if you ground yourself or establish yourself in those, you will not be established in the truth. By the way, what I just told you right now is not politically correct. And it might even be illegal one of these days. I couldn't help, but uh, I noticed um, when Bernie Sanders was interviewing Russ Vaught for, for the position of the deputy director of management and budget, uh, the budget director, that his argument for why he should not be there. By the way, this is not a, a, a political statement. Whether you like the guy or not, I don't care, right? But look at the basis of his argument. The basis of his argument was that he believes that, is, that, that Islam, because they have rejected Jesus, they are not saved. They are condemned. And he said, that's not the America that we're, that's not what America is supposed to be about. But wait a minute. We can be respectful. But he's got this assumption that, that everybody has to believe that not only is everyone else's religion uh, should, be, should be legal and it's that you have to agree with them. You have to allow. This is it's a it's a scary situation that we're that we're coming into. And I'll tell you, this right this doctrine that we're talking about today is going to be the one. Mark my words, it's going to be the one by which we will tell the true Christians apart from the false ones. Are you willing to stand up for Christ, even when you might lose your rights for it? And there are Christians all around the world that are doing that right now. And it may be us soon. Now, here's the thing. Is I, I say this is the short answer because um, there are a lot of people who claim to believe in Jesus Christ that aren't legit Christians, right? I'm using my terminology for the, of the teens, the, the legit. <laughs> um, so, so why is that? Um, it's because people can also create their own version of Jesus. Just as others in the past have created their own versions of God, People can create their own versions of Jesus as well, which is why Peter wrote verse 19. So let's take a look at verse 19 and continue. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, 
which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This truth is, is like a light in the darkness. It's not like there's a bunch of different lights. This is the light in the darkness. And what is, he, what is it founded on? It says this prophetic word confirmed. This is important because uh, when you look at this, this gives us an, an expanded answer. In fact, we could say the expanded answer is that it's not enough to believe in your own version of, of Jesus, but you have to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus as he's presented in the word of God. The prophetic word. By the way, it's considered prophetic because the prophets predicted Jesus. They, they predicted him, which shows that the power is divine, right? The power is divine. You and I can, can't prophesy. We can try and predict. We can try and predict who's going to win a sports game or something, and we'll get it right 50% of the time. But we cannot prophesy like this, especially 400, uh, 400 plus years in advance. And we see this prophetic word, and it's confirmed. We'll talk about that in just a moment as well. Um, and, and this idea of being confirmed is that it's proven to be true, right? That's what, what we mean by confirmed. Like, hey, is, that, is it true what I heard about so-and-so? Yeah, the story has been confirmed. What does that mean? It's been found to be true. So we find in Scripture that in order for us to know that something is true, it has to have its source in God. And so I, I, we have what, we, what I call this divine chain of authority. And so if you've ever um, gone to go, wanted to go swinging at a, in a, uh, at a swing set and you want to look at, the, at all of the, uh, uh, the links in the chain, make sure they're, they're strong because if there's a weak link between the bottom and the top somewhere and you sit on that and try to swing, what's going to happen? You, go, you fly off, right? And so it's the same thing. And you want to make sure that all of them are connected to that solid base at the top. For us, our understanding, that solid base is God. It has to be a divine authority for us to believe it. Amen? But what we find in Scripture is that, that Moses spoke on God's behalf. We find Moses said more times than anyone, Thus saith the Lord. And he spoke on the Lord's behalf. But it was confirmed. How was it confirmed? With signs, wonders, miracles. God did it. In fact, when he, Moses said, what if the Egyptians don't believe me? I will give you signs. And he gave him signs. And you might remember turning the staff into the snake and the hand that would become leprous and so on, turning water into blood. And, and uh, if they don't believe me, God, I'll, give, I'll give them the plagues. They'll, they'll know who I am. So we, can, so we have Moses confirmed. And he wrote the law. He wrote the, the first five books of the Bible. But in the law, he connected a link to the next revelation of God, and that was the prophets. And he said, they're going to come prophets. And he even told us, here's how you can tell the real prophet from the false prophet. So the real prophet will be able to predict the future with 100% certainty. Therefore, if anyone claims to be a prophet, gets one prophecy wrong, kill him. Do you think God takes this seriously? He does. God, if, if someone's speaking on God's behalf, and they're really not that's a major deal. But in the prophets, the prophets didn't stop there. They left us with a link to the next level of revelation. And they predicted the coming of Christ. And so we have the coming of Christ. So then Christ, and was that confirmed? Yes, Christ came with the ability to, to do things that no human could do. He can control the weather. He could raise the, raise the dead. He could heal the sick. He could, do, he, could do what, he could read minds. He was able to do... He was God in the flesh. He, his message was confirmed. And then Christ 
gave that, that, passed that on to the apostles and, and, and said, I'm, I'm passing this on to you. You're going to be able to, uh, to know the things of the future and, and, and write about it. And I'm going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And, and they were able to do these things, miracles and casting out of demons and all these things. They did all these things. And then from the apostles, they wrote the New Testament, right? Do you find any more links? None. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says, says it's about, we're nearing the end of the revelation here. It's about time to, you need to start, quit focusing on these sign gifts, these confirmation gifts, and start getting into the word. Why? Because it's coming to an end. And, uh, and so we find, in fact, you read in the, uh, the last verses of the Bible, where he says, if anyone adds to this or takes away from this, then, then they'll be condemned. Why? Because it's it. We're at the bottom. We're at the bottom of the chain. We have everything we have. When you put this together, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament, and that's it. The prophetic word confirmed. That's what we have right here in our hands. I, I hope you understand that the Bible that you have in your hands today is a treasure. This is a treasury of, of, of infinite wisdom for you. It's the prophetic word confirmed. This is solid. This is the truth by which you can establish your life. And that's not all. Look at uh, verse 20. It says, Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know, I said there would be a short answer, an expanded answer, and a full answer. This leads us into the full answer here because it's not enough to believe in your own interpretation of the Bible. I mean, he's saying here, you can't just take the Bible and make up your own interpretation of it. You can make the Bible say whatever you want, whatever you want. You can't do that. It's not a private interpretation. And so it's not enough to believe in your own interpretation of the Bible. You have to believe it as it was written. So the source of truth is found in Jesus, the son of the one true God, as it's recorded in the Holy Scriptures. And so you have to believe it the way it's written right here. You can't twist it. You, you can't come up with your own private interpretations. Um, and the reason for that is because this has its source in God. Who wrote it? Look at the very next verse. For prophecy never came by the will of man. Never sourced in man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, you can read the Bhagavad Gita, you can read the Quran, and you can read... All of those were written by men. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. This is our source of truth, and we have to read it the way it was... No private interpretations here. And you, might, you might ask, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, what are private interpretations? And, uh, in other words, I would say we can't make the scriptures mean what we want them to mean. Instead, we seek to ascertain the meaning of the scriptures as they were written. Does that make sense? It's as simple as that. And, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. Anything else uh, for, uh, besides that is, is twisting scripture. In fact, I call this the, the twisted scripture uh, uh, approach. And to, to understand this, I w- I'll give a couple examples. Let's say there's a, a man who's going into battle. And he, he wants a word from the Lord. And so he reads in his devotions... Jeremiah 34, 4 and 5, and he reads, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, You shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. So he goes into battle and says, Oh, whew, I don't even have to duck anymore because I'm going to survive this thing. 
Is that a promise of his survival? It's not. Is it a promise to Zedekiah? Yes, it is. Could these words bring comfort? Yes. They would bring comfort in knowing that God is in control of life or death. And if I'm going to die, it's because it's part of God's plan. But it's not a guarantee that I'm going to live because I'm not Zedekiah. Right? And if I were, I would be Zedekiah grave, not Zedekiah king of Judah. Or, or uh, here's another one, uh, uh, a person who, who has a disease or something, and they come across John eleven four 4, that, that says, when, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And, and people will grab onto a verse like this and say, oh, that's for me, because I haven't got a sickness, and the doctor told me I might die. Is that what the verse is saying? Not to you, to someone in the context. You know, there's, a, there's a saying, text without context is pretext. And we have to read the scripture in its context. Because here's the bottom line. We can make the scripture say whatever we want. Right. You want to beat your kids? Go to Psalm 137.9. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth the little ones against the stones. <laughs> there you go. You got it. You know? Yep. Sorry, Abby. You're in trouble. No, <laughs> context. This is a war. This is a battle cry. They're going into the little ones. Could be translated puny ones. They're talking about going against the enemies of God who think they're so tough. They're saying, "You guys are going down." This is biblical trash talk right here. Right? You understand it in its context. It makes sense. It has a meaning. has It has value for us. This is our source of truth, not what we turned it into. Right? Uh, uh, we can't do that. We can't. In fact, I'll share one more. There was a man I remember giving testimony at our church one time, and his he had a child that was. Um, that was giving birth. His, his daughter was giving birth, and there were complications. And, and, um, and so he was t- giving the testimony. He said, so I just went to the Lord's Word for comfort. And so I started where Pastor Grafe left off, and, and I came across this verse in Second, Second Kings where it talks about his son not dying. And so I took that as, oh, thank you, Lord, for the promise. You just gave me peace that my daughter's not going to die. And, uh, and so when the daughter's uh, um, husband called, his son-in-law called and said that she made it and everything's good. He said, yeah, I know, because God already told me. And, you know, that was his, his testimony. What I find really interesting is that my dad was preaching in 1 Samuel 11. That's David and Bathsheba. Right? He found a verse in 2 Kings, so he had to read through two books to get to a verse that spoke to him. But what do you find in 1 Samuel chapter 12? You find a prophet coming to David and saying, your son's going to die. Why isn't that the prophetic word from God? It's because ultimately, we are in charge of that kind of, a, of interpretation of scriptures. Ultimately, we become the creator, and the creator has to bow down and submit to us. God is God. He will not let his glory be given to anyone else. It's, it's, it's not the reality. And, and this is what we do sometimes uh, when, when we... Think when we do this, we, we've been doing this since Cain and Abel, right? By, by creating other gods or by following other authorities besides the scriptures or, or by taking the scriptures that have been confirmed and taking them out of context. All of those are forms of making the sovereign God, trying to make him submit to us, and it will never work. The only way to be established is to be established in the truth. So when we talk about doctrines and discernments, I'm going to list three negatives and three positives, and, and we'll close with this uh, and, and move on to our communion service. And I'll run through these quickly, but two, three negative ones and three positive ones. First, idolatry is wrong. I don't know how, how well you can read that from there. Idolatry is wrong 
because it sets man up as the creator and God as the creature. So, number two, any man-made religion is wrong for the same reason. And number three, any man-made twisting of scripture is wrong for the same reason. Because we're putting ourselves in place of God. And then on the positive side, then what we see is we worship God as the creator. He's the creator. We are his creatures. We submit to him. We take the truth. We, we, we take the truth. We, we submit to that. Number two, we can trust the Bible because its authority has been confirmed by God. This is the source in God. We can trust in the Bible. And number three, we must strive to read, study, and ascertain the original meaning of the scriptures. That's not always easy. It's a lot easier to just say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Oh, okay. Um, but it's, 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 it's work, but it's a treasure. We have a treasure of wisdom. If we study it, pray through it. The Holy Spirit wrote it, and the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to help you interpret it so you have his interpretation, not your own. Amen? This is what we have. And, and, and so if there's anything that I hope you walk away with today, I, I hope for, no, number one, that, you, that it's increased your discernment so that when you recognize anyone presenting anything else at the same level as this book, you say, no, 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 wait a minute. You're not going to catch me with that one. I'm not, I'm not falling for that one. Oh, you're going to call that religion or this religion or that religion equal to the truth? No, 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 no. Now, as Americans, we can all respect each other, and, and that's fine. I'm not talking about that. But we're not, we don't have to call those this. The second thing is I hope that you walk out of here with, with a, a deep hunger to get to know this word. I hope you, you walk out of here saying, I, this is from God? The other things, great books even can be written by human beings. They all pale in comparison to this right here because this is sourced in God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. I hope you walk out of here with a desire to say, I want to get to know this book. I want to be established in the truth. Established in the truth. So I can live my life the way, the way God intended for me to live it. So what about you? I'm going to ask two questions and we'll close. This is so that you can be established in the truth. Number one, does God hold the, his rightful position in your life? Does God hold his rightful position? Or have you allowed some one of these ways to, to put you in charge of him? Have you, like Cain, decided to come to him but on your own terms? And number two, are the scriptures really your source of truth that establishes you? Do you really get into the word? Do you have a hunger for the word? My dad explains how the, the, from the moment he accepted Jesus Christ, he, he, he went into a room for, for a long period of time, a couple of months. I mean, he obviously came out for food and stuff. But he, he, he didn't have a job, didn't have anything except for he just wanted to read the Bible because he, he's like, I can't feel comfortable until I just understand at least the basics of the Bible. And, and that hunger has never gone away. And so, and, and, is that you? Hungry for the word of God? So you can learn it and say, oh, wow. Well, I see truth here that can change the way I live my life. And, 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 and this is what will transform us. So, oh man, my human nature and all my human friends says revenge is, is okay when someone harms. But the Bible says turn the other cheek. Wow. You know, and we start getting into this. This will radically change the way we live our lives. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to start looking more and more like Jesus Christ himself. And then the world's going to turn their eyes and they're like, wow, look, something's different. That's what I want. 
and you're going to see the church grow. Even though the culture is moving against God, you're going to see people coming out of that culture. You're going to see people transform, their lives changed. Amen? Just like my brother talked about last week, people who, who we would write off and say, oh, this person could never get saved. No. We're going to see people with their lives. We're going to see people ch- turn from their, their, their ways and come to the living God. And so I would ask you today to take these two questions to our time of self-examination. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of self-examination.